The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. Well, thanks uh, to all of you for coming. Grateful for it and the chance that we have to chat a little bit um, about aspects of church revitalization. Um, when you, uh, m- most of you are preparing for some kind of vocational ministry and God is leading you and directing you. And as you imagine, you know, where you will go and what you will transition into, uh, you could be picturing yourself in a pastoral ministry in the United States. You might be preparing to do cross-cultural missions overseas. Uh, as was mentioned, I'm a trustee with the IMB. There could be a lot of different other ministries that you can't even imagine, perhaps with a parachurch ministry. But those of you that are going to minister in uh, local churches, as you transition and begin your ministry, you're either going to be in a very vibrant, fruitful, healthy setting, or you're going to be in a church that needs revitalization, or you're going to plant a church, okay? Now, I don't want to disabuse any fantasies you may have of going to your first ministry and becoming the senior pastor of a really large, fruitful, uh, multi-staff church, and they're choosing you to be their senior pastor as your first pastorate. That's not likely to happen. It is possible that you might serve on a staff at such a church and have a certain function and learn some aspects, etc. But if you actually do go to be a lead pastor in a church, it's, it's actually quite likely that you're going to be in a church that needs revitalization or you're going to church plant. Now, it's possible you might pastor a smaller church that's healthy in every regard. Now, you might ask, well, what's the difference in pastoral ministry uh, in a church revitalization situation versus just normal pastoral ministry? It's a very good question. Some aspects are going to be absolutely the same. And so the topic that I'm going to talk to you about is the role of the Word of God. I would say it's the same for the most part. The centrality of the ministry of the Word of God is the same wherever you go. But a revitalization situation, how I would define it and how it's different than, let's say, normal pastoral ministry, um, is that in a revitalization situation, there are toxic forces at work in the bloodstream of that local church that, if not checked, will end up killing the church. And churches do die, uh, using more biblical language. Jesus does remove the lampstand of local churches. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. And um, it's not always because of sin. Some circumstances happen where, you know, that'll have to happen. Just economically, maybe uh, a factory shuts down and everyone moves and there's just no one left. I understand that. But usually it is because of sin. And God may choose to bring you in to minister in a situation like that, and it's a very challenging ministry. So if people would ask me, well, what do I do? You know, I'm in this situation, and I do see those toxic forces at work in the life of the church, and I've, I've listed them out in the book, and, and you could imagine what some of them would be. You know, uh, no heart for evangelism, inward focus, uh, infighting, cliques, and, and factions. Um, but primarily, I think, more than anything, you start to see a turning away from the inerrant Word of God. People start questioning the Word of God. Um, they start challenging it. The church that I inherited in October of 19, 
98, just a year or two before that, had just or a couple years before that, had narrowly de uh, defeated a motion to duly align with the Southern Baptist Convention and with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Now, if you know anything about the history of the battle for the Bible, the CBF was the, I would say, liberal, moderate faction that broke off from the SBC and was espousing a liberal approach um, and a non-inerrantist approach to scripture. So a faction, a very sizable faction in our church, thought that was fine. That was a good way to look at, 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 uh, at the scripture. Well, I think when you turn your back on the inspiration and authority of scripture as an institution, whether a local church or a denomination or a seminary, you've turned your back on the Lord and on, on your own future. You have no future. I mean, you can continue for a long time, but you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. So, fundamentally, I believe more than anything, we have to trust in the inerrant word of God to do the work of ministry. The work of the Holy Spirit using the perfection of Scripture, that's what I would, if I would say to you, put all of your eggs in that basket. So you go and begin your, your ministry. Let's, let's assume that you would be regularly preaching. I would commend to you the centrality of the Word of God and just establish that right from the beginning. There's going to be all kinds of mess that you see around you. And you can get distracted, you can turn off, you can get into issues and, and divisions and difficulties right away. I would just say get up and week after week after week preach the Word. One role model for me in pulpit ministry has been John MacArthur. And he is a sequential expositor. All right? I don't agree with everything he teaches, but his methodology is my methodology, which is I go through books of the Bible. And he's been there for 50 years, I believe. I don't know how you could be a topical preacher in one church for 50 years. I'd run out of ideas, friends. And the Internet never forgets, so they'll say, you already preached that sermon six years ago, that kind of thing. I mean, but sequential ex exposition, it never ends. But I want to speak theologically. Fundamentally, the reason you do this is because this is essential to our salvation. Not one of the people you'll be ministering to, and yourself included, is done being saved. Salvation's a process. Now, I know we evangelicals use this kind of ex expression, once saved, always saved, or we say, when were you saved, that kind of thing. And I think that's fine, it's biblical. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So the Bible does speak of saved in a past tense. But it also says we're being saved. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it says that we're going to be saved when Christ returns, saved from God's wrath through him. The salvation is not done yet. And so justification, sanctification, glorification, that's the essence of it. And you're there in pastoral ministry because the people you're ministering to aren't done being saved. And they need to be sanctified. If they've been justified if they've crossed over from death to life, if they've had all their sins forgiven and they've been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, now their lives just have to begin and they have to live lives of holiness and fruitfulness and obedience to the word of God. That's what the Great Commission says. We're going to make disciples and baptize them and then do what? Nothing else? No, teach them to obey, not observe. Why does it say observe? Obey. The word observe there means obey. But it's just clearer to me to say, teach them to obey everything God has commanded. And that's comprehensive pastoral ministry. And the word of God is given by him to do that. The centrality of the word of God, faith comes by hearing the word. And it don't, doesn't just begin its coming, but it continues to to develop your sanctification, your holiness. Remember how it says in Galatians, 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? All right, he's talking about that. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? What is he saying? The way you begin is the way you progress and finish. And that's by hearing God's word. So, 1 Timothy 4, Paul exhorts Timothy to watch his own life and his doctrine closely, to, to progress in public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching, to develop himself in these things so that everyone can see his progress. He's a young man. So everyone can see his prog prog progress, for by so doing, listen to this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wow. So if you were to ask me, say, Pastor, what is your primary purpose when you get up to preach on Sunday morning? My primary purpose is to save myself and my hearers. And what does that mean? By hearing the word of God, by believing it, by growing in Christ-like maturity, by helping my church members to fight sin by the power of the Spirit, to persevere in the Christian life. And so centra the centrality of the word of God is everything. And I would advocate sequential exposition because that way you're going to avoid hobby horses, your same topics you hit again and again and again. You're going to take the word of God and Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you're going to see details in the intervening not famous verses that you've never seen before. And people are going to be learning from you. And they're going to be hungry to hear week after week what God would say through you. And they're going to be fed by you. As Jesus said, this is the number one thing I think about when, I, when, I'm just, uh, when I'm getting up to preach. I think about what Jesus said to Peter. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And by, brothers that, and sisters, that drives away anxiety and fear. I don't worry anymore what people think about me. I don't worry what, how I look. My wife worries how I look before I go to church you know, in the morning. You know. <laughs> One of our number one conversations is that I need to wet my hair in the back, all right, because it sticks up in the back. And uh, I don't have to look at it, but other people will see it. And so you might want to look at it. So thank God for her. She's a helper suitable for me and helps me in so many ways. But um, I'm not worried about that because what matters is feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed them. Feed their souls. Feed them the word of God. And so that's what I, I seek to do. I seek to get up and, and to feed the people the word of God. Now, one other little comment I'll make, and then we'll be open for questions. There's so many things I could say about this, but um, the, the single greatest thing that's ever happened to me to aid me in the sequential expository ministry that God's given me is the discipline of memorizing whole books of the Bible. I would commend to you the hard work of memorizing whole books of the Bible. I would commend that you store up food in, your, in the freezer of your mind that you will pull out 13 years from now. Things you've been meditating on for years. When the time comes to do your exposition in those chapters, you've been thinking about them for years and there's almost nothing the commentaries can tell you. I mean, you can read them and they'll keep you from some blind spots and all that and they'll teach you some, some benefit. But the far greater benefit will be what the Holy Spirit's been showing you over 10 years of repeating and reciting those verses. Now, it's hard work, I know. But I would commend, while you're here in seminary, to begin. Start with an epistle. Start with Ephesians. Start with Philippians. Something like that. 
and just store up God's word in your heart and you will not regret it. I'm telling you, it's like buying Amazon stock X number of years ago whenever it was good to buy it um, or, or Microsoft stock. I mean, you will not regret even to judgment day the time you spend memorizing God's word. So I've got many more things I could say, but I would like to open it up to questions and comments. Any questions you guys might have? Landy, thank you so much for that focus on the centrality of the word. And especially in a revitalization context, one of the questions that was coming up through some of the cards was whenever you get to a church in a church context where revitalization may be necessary mm-hmm. and where you want to lean into the word of God, how would you include those who are already present at the church and maybe already involved in a revitalization effort as you embark on that effort? So how would... You can even weave in how we did that at First Baptist. Um, Involving other brothers and sisters in it. Who are already there by the time you got there. Yeah, absolutely. There. I mean, without that, you can't succeed. Let's be honest. We're talking about Baptist churches. There's a democratic process, um, and there are votes. There are contentious members' meetings, what I call shootout at the OK Corral type meetings. I mean, some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of you will find out. All right, so you got those Wednesday night meetings where you're like dreading to walk down to Fellowship Hall, um, and uh, it's not really a sweet fellowship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, without, humanly speaking, without allies, you will lose. I mean, even, I hate to say, just be this crass, but you'll lose politically. You will get outvoted and eventually just lose your position. But aside from all that, keep in mind what's really going on. The local church is there, a temporary structure. All local churches are temporary. There are no local churches in heaven, all right? So all those local churches are temporary. They're there to complete the salvation of the people that are there. So you want to have them involved, and their spiritual gifts are essential to that. Some have gifts of prayer, some have gifts of administration, some gifts of leadership. You want them involved. So yes, politically it's true. You need a a group around you who will support what you're doing. But also you want to pour into them, give them your vision for a healthy church. What does a healthy local church look like? You want them on board. And I would say especially the men, because I believe in male leadership of local churches as I believe in husband's leadership in marriage. And so you want, especially men, you want to pour into men who will be future elders. We believe in elders, plurality of elders. Pour into them so they can lead well. But your sisters in Christ, they're going to they're gonna yearn to use their gifts, and they should use their gifts, including teaching um, and other gifts. So you definitely want to cast that vision. There's nothing done in secret. It's like, I want to tell you what I think a healthy church is. We're not ashamed of this. this is what Bi- the Bible's teaching. You want to do that. But you have to do a lot of work behind the scenes, too, of building leaders, developing leaders, and all that. So I don't know if that answers some of the question. Yeah, very good. Before I move to another one on the card, maybe there's something that popped into one of your heads you'd like to ask or anybody have a question for Andy. Um, I love how you said that we should work on storing up food for us, uh, Mm -hmm. memorizing scripture. Could you give us any tips or encouragement on how to do that? Sure. Um, There is that booklet. Um, So I don't know how how many we have, but do do grab it. And, you know, there's no silver bullet. It's just a simple thing. It's repetition over time. And so I just give you some techniques that in there I, I titled it, um, I think, appropriately, humbly saying, an approach to the extended memorization of Scripture. There are many ways you can do it. But you will not do it without repetition over time. And the over time is the part. It's like not for a day or a week, but you're just saying these verses again and again and again and again. And you know what's going to happen as you do that? You're going to understand the verses. You're going to have illumination moments, aha moments. The eyes of your heart are going to be enlightened, Ephesians 1.18. And those are the things you're going to share with the people of God. You're going to understand the whole book, too, not just individual verses. You'll get Paul's train of thought, his argumentation. And so I would just say, first of all, recognize it's going to be hard work. But you are, it seems, many of you, if not all of you, called apart, set apart unto the ministry of the Word. 
I mean, what could be better than this? And there are so many verses. Like if you were to say, how do, scripturally, how do you know that memorization is something that you should do? There's a lot of verses I would point to, but my favorite is John 15, where Jesus talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and my words, plural, remain, dwell, abide, live in you, ask whatever you wish and it, may be, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and show yourself to be my disciples. So how, does, how do Christ's words, which I just said in the message we're going to be hearing for all eternity, how do Christ's words live in you? I would commend that memorization would be a good way. But look what you get. You get immediately then a fruitful prayer life because you'll know what to pray for, and then God will answer your prayers and the word with fruit. That's where I would go, John 15. So I would say, first of all, decide this is something God wants me to do. Understand, secondly, it's going to be really hard work. And number three, do it. The best return on the investment, though, for, a short, for short books are epistles, New Testament epistles, as I would commend. And, and, you, and you commend, commend that. Now you're like, all right, awesome. Second John, I'm in, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Took me six months, but I got it. And it was like, awesome, you know, 13 verses in six months. So good job. Uh, stick with it. Then go on to the next book. Um, but, you know, just keep, keep at it. Um, but I love Ephesians because for 155 verses, a verse a day, six months, you get deep theology. You get incredible practical wisdom on daily Christian life, godly Christian marriage, Christian parenting, spiritual warfare, so many good things. So I'm selling Ephesians, all right, um, in Scripture memory, but I would commend it to you. Andy, um Moments ago, you were talking about sometimes the contentious atmosphere that could exist in a church that you're seeking to revitalize under the Lord's guidance. Uh, one of the questions here is, what is the biggest change in culture of our church at First Baptist have you seen as a result of the proclamation of the word over 20 years? What would you say is yeah. the highlight change that's Absolutely. happened in the culture can, of our church? I can answer you right away. It's the, it's the visible, obvious unity of our church. You know? I think that a faithful teaching of the Word of God tends to unify sinners and make them more and more Trinitarian one. As the Father and the Son are one, we are progressively unified because we're all believing the same Bible. And we're united around the same truths that are being unfolded. And so whereas there was initially, for the first three years, a tremendous amount of contentiousness about controversial doctrines, about other things, just a lot of... Now they're just... There, for the most part, isn't. I wouldn't say it's completely gone because Satan's always going to be attacking. But the beautiful unity that I see with the brothers and sisters around the Word of God, even the meat of the Word where it's hard and you walk through it and you do your best to interpret it, still they're not angry at the elders of our church. They're just like, hmm, that's, that's a tough verse. Let's work on that, et cetera. Beautiful unity. And, and what's so beautiful, in John 17, Jesus said, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. So the more the united, the more that united the church is, the more evangelistically powerful it is in that community. I mean, if you have a supernatural unity of people that ordinarily might not be united, but they, are, they love each other and they think alike, not like a cult, but they just agree. They just agree with each other. That's what I've seen. That's probably a number one change. It was very faction-oriented, resulting in a lot of carnality, a lot of anger, <laughs> a lot of just really bad behavior. And it's shocking, really shocking. Um, but also, well, let me say one other thing. I believe worldwide, all over the world, the front line of the advancing kingdom of heaven is in the local church. 
not the parachurches, not even the individual coming to faith in Christ. It's the local churches. That's where Satan kicks up the fusses. So the missionaries that go overseas, what are they trying to do? They're trying to win individual people to faith in Christ and then bring them together into healthy churches. Because without the healthy churches, those individuals can't finish their race of salvation. And so fundamentally, the IMB is about the salvation of individuals through healthy churches being planted, right? Well, Satan knows that too. So he's going to be fighting all over the world. So when you get to a local church setting anywhere in the world, don't be surprised when Satan's kicking up a fuss. That's where the front line is. Well, related to that, Andy, I know a lot of that cultural change came after years of ministry and years of work and persistence and endurance for you personally and for others who were helping you in that process. Two related questions that we got uh, on the same theme were, how do you discern when it may be time to move on from a context where perhaps the congregation is so hardened their hearts they won't receive the teaching? Or perhaps it doesn't seem like the spirit, maybe the lampstand's been removed, to use a phrase from Revelation. Um, how would you provide counsel to someone who's in that situation, specifically as it relates to discerning the Lord's will in that, and then persistence and endurance through that? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I did an interview right before I preached, and a similar question. How, can you, how do you know when it's time, time to leave? And, I, you know, honestly, I, you're not married to the local church the way you're married to your spouse. You promise till death parts you at, when you get married. It is possible both for pastors and for individual members to leave Covenant Fellowship in a healthy local church without sin. That is possible. But if you're talking about a pastor and he's in a revitalization situation and there's shrapnel flying everywhere and it's a war and he's asking, can I leave, can I leave, can I leave? The first question you, you need to ask is, does the Lord want me to stand firm here? Does the Lord want me to fight the good fight of faith here? Think about um, Paul in Corinthians he talks about the Lord opening doors of ministry for him, and there is much opposition. It's like, well, those are usually, we would look at that two different things. Open door means absence of controversy and conflict. Not to Paul, it didn't. To him, that was like proof that this was the place to be. So I would start by saying, Lord, can you, are you calling me to persevere and to stand firm here for the truth? But what indications would there be? Well, when they vote you out and you're no longer lead pastor, that, that would be a good indication, all right? <laughs> okay, when that happens, then you, you can know. That's one way. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, there, there might be some other indications. Um, you would have to really believe that your continued ministry there was not fruitful in the kingdom of God, and you were actually doing more harm than good. Or you were more attracted in a positive way. You were called to another more fruitful ministry. And that's, that's why you would leave. So um, with people that, you know, they want to go to a church that has the healthy teaching of the word, mm -hmm. would you say that within parameters it would be healthy for someone to leave the church, especially if, you know, their doctrine does not align with holding true to the infallible word of God? So church members who yeah. don't believe in inerrancy should leave, something like that? Is that what well, you're saying? Like uh, church members that are a part of a church that yeah. is no, no longer holding the line to like oh, sound oh, right. doctrine. So the church is not, and, the, and you're asking about members leaving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's similar. Again, uh, covenant fellowship in a, in a local church is not for life. You can leave a local church without sinning. All right? It's not like a divorce. 
Um, if, if the leadership structure and the regular teaching of the Word of God has so drifted into false doctrine, I think that would be, and you've done what you can, you, you know, you're a church member, you don't have authority, you don't have power in the church, but you persuaded, you sought, etc., I think there might be indications to leave. But again, you want to say the same kind of question. Lord, could it be that you're calling us, not just me alone, but a group of 10 of us to pray for this church and to hang in here and to do what we can? So there are some brothers and sisters that are called to that kind of ministry too. So it's not clear always what to do. But I think fundamentally we're looking at how is the ministry of the word being handled? Is the word of God being rightly divided? And it doesn't have to be perfect. There is no perfect uh, unfolding of the word of God. But that's a good word. Yeah, I mean, it really just comes down to that. And I think that I would say the same thing to, to lay people who leave our church in a good way and are moving to a new, a new region, a new city, a new town. And they ask, how can, how can I find a good church? And, you know, there's some things like Gospel Coalition and Nine Marks and all that will give networks of churches to try. They'll give you names. They're not gonna, they don't vet them. Um, but it doesn't matter. Bottom line, you have to evaluate for yourself. You start with the sermon. How is the Word of God being handled from the pulpit? That's probably the single, not problem, it is the single most influential thing that happens every week in the church, which is the sermon. Uh, at the human level, nothing is more influential than that. So you listen to how the word is being handled. Is it respected? Is it unfolded? Is it being taught faithfully? And another uh, question um, that we received relates to missions. And I imagine there's probably quite a few folks in the room who may be preparing for an overseas context. Mm -hmm. And uh, we received a question, uh, another one similar, um, asking about how is your experience in an international context, having served in Japan, mm -hmm. um, or even just in your role at the IMB, how is... Uh, your experience in international context paralleled your experience in church revitalization. What would you say is maybe similarities or maybe sure. a major difference that you would see between the two? Well, I just I feel led by the Lord right now to say something very important, which you probably know, but I want to say it anyway as an official representative of the International Mission Board. We have more money than people right now. So these are the two great commodities the local churches present to the International Mission Board, money and people. All right, you want them basically to constantly be rising, but rise together, right? Right now, there's more money than qualified missionary candidates. And so if I can just say again, the IMB is open for business, all right? We're looking for qualified people to serve overseas. So get the word out, even if you're not called to cross-cultural church planning. Just let people know that, that you know, the, the IMB is looking for qualified candidates. So what I would say, Chase, is that that what's common worldwide is more important than what's different, okay? There are some unifying factors that are true of all human beings everywhere all over the world, but then culture is important. So the Japanese culture is different than Sub-Saharan Africa or than the European um, setting. I'm a, my affinity group that I focus in is Europe, European. So there's differences all over the world. So, but fundamentally, you just have to think, Fundamentally, the, the word of God, the gospel, is the power of God for the salvation of people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. But you do have to take into consideration cultural aspects. Uh, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Greeks, I became like a Greek. There are aspects of non-essential surface stuff like clothing, food, behavior patterns, amoral patterns that you, you're going to shift and, and mold and change all the time to reach out to the people you're trying to reach. But the core things are the same. And so what you're going to find all over the world, you're going to find divisions, factions, sin, immorality. Like 1 Corinthians, I've been preaching through that. I'm, I'm, I've reached um, almost uh, chapter 13. 
And uh, what a messed up local church that was. And praise God, I'm not being disrespectful. Aren't you glad they were so messed up? And aren't you glad that Paul addressed how messed up they were? So that we can know what to do? Because you're going to see that mess up all over the world. That was in Greece a long time ago. Those things are still happening. So just what's common is more important than what's different. But Andy, as I'm making our way up here to close, um, I guess one question I would have for you is what is maybe one truth from Scripture that has encouraged you the most as you've gone through revitalization at our church? What, mm. what maybe would you say the Lord has brought to your mind over and over again from Scripture that has just brought you like a balm to your heart, just peace in the midst of even trying circumstances? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I love. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I just love that. And I love how much it, it answers the agonizing cry of the book of Ecclesiastes. Like, is all of this just dust in the wind? This whole thing's just vanity of vanities? Everything we do is vanity. So like three generations from now, no one will know if we even walk planet Earth. No, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, because of Christ's resurrection, your labor in the Lord is not vanity. It's not emptiness. And that encourages me. Isn't that encouraging? And that God notices and you are storing up treasure in heaven and just by being faithful, by putting secret sins to death, by the Spirit, God notices. He sees that. And, and by giving money when no one knows, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, by your secret prayer life, and then by your public ministry, God, nothing's wasted. So that's hugely encouraging. And I'll give you a second one if that's okay. Um, Jesus' statement, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive them away, but will raise them up at the last day. I mean, that's awesome. So everybody's going to come to Jesus that the Father gives, and he's going to raise them up at the last day. So that's encouraging to me. So, yeah. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.